Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from the owner of a product marketing agency on best practices for identifying and overcoming objections from your potential buyers. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Will Russell to the show. Will is the founder of Russell Marketing, a New York marketing agency which specializes in launching new consumer product inventions. He's also a fellow writer with me for Forbes. Today, Will is going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers can learn how to identify the main consumer buyer objections when purchasing your product, then how to overcome those objections when you launch your product to the market for the first time. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Will, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. Great to be here. Excited to have you on. And then I guess you just finished getting back from your, your wedding, which was one of those you know, classic COVID postponed weddings. It was, absolutely. So we were originally scheduled to have a wedding in May 2020. And we pushed it back four times, which got us to September 2021. And we finally made it. Finally had it a couple of weeks back. Um, unfortunately, there's still some travel restrictions. So a couple of my family members from the UK couldn't fly over to the US, but we didn't want to push it back any longer. I think almost 18 months is long enough. Well, so I appreciate we you taking the time now because yeah. I imagine you're busy with many things, not only running a, an agency, but also dealing with all the post-wedding fun and all that sort of stuff. I certainly remember those days. So, uh, you know, enjoy it. Thank We're you. talking today about uh, objections and buyer's objections specifically around end user buyers, people who are actually making that decision to whip out the credit card. And there's always two things that happen on that front. One, it's exciting them with the features, but on the other side, there's also overcoming their objections. And it's important when you're looking to sell direct to consumer, when you're building out your launch strategy to really think about both of those angles, both the good stuff that you're selling, but also how you're going to overcome those objections. And as a new product startup or somebody putting any new product out to market, there are always going to be a series of objections, no matter how good your product is. And the best marketers out there figure out how to get around those and how to highlight the best features and get rid of the worst so that those people actually whip out that card and buy that. So why don't you give us just a background about how you've become an expert in this space, starting from the early days and working up to the agency that you have now? Sure. I, I got involved in crowdfunding originally four or five years ago. I had a, a friend of mine who was working in Indiegogo and introduced me to crowdfunding from that uh, i got more experienced and, and learned a lot more about product launches in general in a prior life in the nonprofit space i've been uh, working on launching events so i certainly had some launch experience already but to learn it in the whole d2c and online space was a was a whole new experience and what i saw was how how many similarities there were between launching these offline events and launching these online products and so over the last few years, I've worked uh, with my team on developing a system that uh, is usable uh, for almost any entrepreneur, launching events, apps, software, hardware, uh, to give them the most successful launch. Uh, and I like to call it a system for risk-averse entrepreneurs, you know, minimize that risk, uh, be able to make a predictable 
launch, uh, understand the numbers and make sure that no surprises and success is on your way. The launch is so powerful. And whether you're you know, launching a new product at an established manufacturer or whether you're a new inventor launching your first product ever, the launch is critical. And it's that moment where you know, you've gone through all the development, you've made this, first of all, you've come up with this great idea, you've gone through all the development, and now you're ready to get it to market. And one of the things I really like when talking to you about this is you know, you, you've been working on these systems to successfully launch, to use predictiveness in order to launch, no matter what platform, whether you're B2B or B2C. And one of the big things that always comes up is these objections. So why don't we start there and let's just talk about some of the most common objections, especially to a new hardware product that's being launched, especially by a new product startup. What are some of the common objections you see? And then for each of those objections, how do you overcome those as an entrepreneur? Well, let's make sure we're, we're clear on, on what an objection really is. And I think uh, we touched on this a little bit before, you know, objections and you know, hurdles, barriers sounds like a negative thing, but it's, they're always going to happen. It's part and parcel of, of life. People aren't always going to want to do or aren't going to be ready to do what you want them to do. And so as from an entrepreneurial standpoint, these objections are hurdles to them making a final decision to purchase your offer or take the action you want them to take and there's no there's no problem with that of course that they're going to exist so i wouldn't worry about that i think the, the the most important thing is understanding how you can quickly identify them learn from them and overcome them and and use the, the knowledge of overcoming them in your future marketing to avoid and limit that those objections in the future so we can touch on a few of the key ones and i think there's always going to be unique objections because Every product is different. Every entrepreneur is different. An entrepreneur who's very introverted may have a harder time with, with credibility because they want to keep quiet and keep them to themselves. Whereas an entrepreneur who's very extroverted won't have that objection or that challenge. So uh, we've got to remember there are you know, lots of unique objections, but predominantly we see the same objections time and time and time again. So I can just uh, share a few of those. And pretty much you know, cost is always going to be an objection and we can get into uh, how to respond to that. The, the product itself, the product offer, the positioning of the offer may present an objection. The brand and the credibility of the brand may present an objection. There are often technical objections. And then there's an obje objection that I just call apathy. So really these five core objections that we know without question are going to come into play at some point during a launch. And so our job and our obligation to our clients is to make sure we can proactively resolve those and put strategies in place to overcome them and not have to worry about them as much in the future. So should I just jump in and then give some of those examples or anything you want to? Yeah, that's great. There? And those are all very powerful. Cost, positioning, brand, technical, and apathy. Uh, let's go through each of those and let's talk to hardware entrepreneurs and product launchers in the hardware space. How can we overcome these uh, each of these objections based on the experience you've had, because you, you work on these on every project. You've seen many, many, many projects come through. And uh, I certainly have as well on the product development side of things as we're working with these entrepreneurs, uh, getting them to the point where they're launching. So it's great to hear from your perspective, you know, looking at these objections and some tips and tricks you have for each. So let's start with cost. Sure. So everyone's going to have a problem with cost. Uh, every entrepreneur, I should say, is going to have a problem with cost from some of their potential customers. I mean, we all experience that every day. We make judgments on whether something's worth the, the, the cost. Uh, I think what's important 
for entrepreneurs to know is two things. One, how can they address or, or manage that pain point, that uh, objection well before they launch? And, and you can do that through proper market research and validation. A lot of entrepreneurs will come to us with a price point based on manufacturing costs plus desired profit. And uh, that's not a, a fair representation often of what the consumer is willing to pay. And so before launch, making sure that there is some research happening, surveying, focus groups, validation of the price points you, you want to launch with to ensure that, yes, this is an acceptable price point that customers are willing to pay. So that, that's the first thing. Yeah, something thing. I'd like to mention on that too is that oh, yeah. it can sometimes go both directions. Oh, yeah. And that's the mm-hmm. key, right? We've got a lot of entrepreneurs that, you know, they make these great products and they've got these innovative and new and unique features and they want to price it cheaper than the competitive thing that's been around forever. Little do they realize because they've got this extra value or this, this add-on, people might pay double or triple what they used to be paying prior. So you have mm-hmm. to be very careful on both ed- edges there that you're maximizing essentially your consumer value. Yeah, absolutely. There's more than a handful of occasions when when you know we run these validation periods and end up making a recommendation to increase the price point. You know, fifty percent increase, and and we can still see uh, high pickup volume. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Whether it's uh, evaluating price point because it might be too much, or evaluating price point because you're leaving money on the table as the entrepreneur, that uh, that validating that price point is going to be super important. And and I think the second consideration that's very specific to launches and how to overcome cost objections uh, the other marketing strategies that are that are at play for example with a launch there's usually some sort of urgency with a launch there's usually some sort of special offer that the entrepreneur can deliver to this early group of customers in response uh, for thanking them for their for their early support so from a from an urgency standpoint Someone may have a problem with a $99 product price point. Uh, however, if you can present the correct messaging that, hey, yeah, it's $99 now, but if you don't act now, it's going to be $149 next time and you might want to grab this, uh, then there there's an additional element at play there that they need to consider that may help you know, push them off that fence and take advantage of this offer as it is now, despite some early hesitancies around that cost. Uh, and then the second uh, point to that was presenting a really nice offer. Uh, for launch, you need that traction. You need something early on to get that ball rolling because for many of these entrepreneurs, they're new, their brand's new, they have very little credibility in the space. And so one of the tools in their toolkit is to give a really good offer. And if that means that their profits are small at the get-go, then so be it, or their acquisition costs are a little bit higher than you know, that's part and parcel. But if they can give, as part of this offer, a really strong commitment to excellence to the, to the prospective customer, such as you know, one-year uh, one return policies or 10-year warranties or something that perhaps they can't offer in, in for longevity to all their customers, you can't say perhaps to every customer, your money back whenever you want it for any reason. No, but you can certainly present an offer early on to really give that user confidence that even though this is perhaps a slightly a financial risk for them, they're putting money on the table for a new product that is a financial risk, you're giving them every confidence and every 
in every avenue possible to provide you to, to, to prove your commitment and prove that this is a, a risk that they can take and therefore comfortable taking. I really like that you're looking at other options beyond simply reducing the price. And, and maybe yeah. it is reducing the price, right? But there is a lot of things that uh, a hardware launch can do that doesn't necessarily mean pulling the price point down to show that extra value in one way or another. And I think that's very powerful for your launch because it adds, as you mentioned, the elements of urgency and that, that you know this is a special deal, this is an early offer, and this is really a, a commitment to a partnership with your end buyer saying mm -hmm. that we understand you're putting skin in the game and we are backing it up with some skin in the game too. Now, you've got to be careful, of course, with those things. You don't want to be promising the moon and then under-delivering. Right. In fact, I'm a big fan, whether it's in our design firm or just whether it's one of our clients launching, I'm always a big fan of uh, under-promise, over-deliver. Mm -hmm. uh, however, there are certain things that you can do in and around warranties and other things where that, that makes it worthwhile. The other thing to think about when you're launching a product as a hardware startup, and I recommend this to many of our clients, is you don't look at your first production run or your launch as a profit maker. Mm -hmm. And that's where you can have the comfort saying, okay, look, I'm going to break even on this one. And I'm going to use some of that extra margin built in there to add extra value to these initial customers. Because your business becomes exponentially more valuable if you do a, a great launch. Mm -hmm. And it and it and now you validate it. Now you can look to bigger buyers, all this sort of stuff. So that shouldn't mm -hmm. be the end game. That should just be the beginning. And since mm -hmm. it is the beginning, that's a great time. I know you've gone through a big, you know, big long path of development and all this sort of stuff, but this launch is critically important. So don't rely on that as your profit center. Rely on that as your, as your market validator, the proof mm -hmm. in the pudding, right? And mm -hmm. that's where uh, I think it gives entrepreneurs a bit of comfort to not pressure themselves into um, trying to squeeze every dollar out of that first launch. And just to play off of that for a moment, there are a couple of things I didn't mention, which I think people might be thinking per the, the follow-up you just had of, well, what about things like payment plans, installment plans? You know, there's great tools now like Klarna or Afterpay where people can pay in installments, and that also helps resolve you know, the sales objection of cost. I would note that many new entrepreneurs may want to avoid that path at the start because it does mean delayed revenue and they may need that revenue for production. Uh, but for anyone who is a little bit further down the road or doesn't necessarily need that upfront payment from, from the customer, you know, those um, payment stages, uh, early deposits are all a great way, again, of, of resolving the objection. And there's underwriters for some of that stuff too, where right. they'll mm -hmm. underwrite that. You pay obviously an interest rate or a loan rate or whatever, which mm -hmm. you can either pass on to the customer or you can choose to eat it yourself again, because you're you're not trying to be profitable off your first run. You're, you're using that. So sometimes that's mm -hmm. just a lumped in value add uh, where it gets underwritten. So you get paid right away. And then they essentially are loaning that customer the money and that gets paid out over time. Um, right. There's lots of tools, but the, you know, the key is exploring all these different avenues to try and overcome that cost hurdle. What can exactly. you do uh, without having to reduce your margins? Because the big thing that we talk about on the show is make sure your margins are, are managed. And mm -hmm. you can always bring your price down. You can always offer sales and all this sort of stuff, but it's very difficult to push your price up. So that mm -hmm. launch also should be under the condition that, yes, if you're selling it as your example at $99 now, know that that price is going up in the future. And that gives mm -hmm. you the liberty to be raising your price in the future. Mm -hmm. And those people won't be upset about it because they had the, you know, the opportunity to come in early. They didn't. And now you're getting a more appropriate pricing with your margins built in so you can build a business around. Right. right absolutely. So let's move on to uh, the next one. Um, move on to the next one. Position, product positioning. You know, I think 
one thing that we often run for clients, whether they've had a, a brilliant launch or not, will be a, a non-buyer survey pretty early on. Because even if they have a wonderful launch day and a wonderful conversion rate of their potential customers, there's still going to be a lot of people that didn't purchase the product. And, and we want to understand why so we can improve that launch period. So we'll send out these non-buyer surveys, super positive. You know, they're not negative. Why didn't you buy? They're very positive uh, approaches uh, where we're kind of creatively understanding what is it that's still got you on the fence. And uh, a common a common response can be, you know, I don't quite understand how this is different from what's on the market, or I've already earned a competitor's product and I don't need, I don't see why I need this. And what this points to is there's just not an, enough differentiation and uh, not strong enough education around what makes your product different. And so it's easy to, to say that hypothetically or in theory, but looking uh, practically, like what does that actually mean for an entrepreneur? You know, I think things like nice comparison charts, nice graphic infographics, uh, really nice little videos, for example, which can compare your product directly to a competitor, some creative ways of, you know, let's say your product is super durable. Maybe you can, maybe you can drop your product off the top of a, a two-story building, you know, and it's durable and it survives. You drop the, the competitor's products and they and they smash. Those are iPhone, you know, iPhone videos that take 30 seconds and people love that stuff. They love that user-generated content. So I think coming up and, and what we're trying to do in our launch system is we don't want to find out on launch day necessarily that this isn't unique enough. We haven't described it in, in, the, in the most unique manner. We want to be able to proactively avoid that. And so in launch strategies that we're going to be implementing, we're going to be creating that kind of content, comparison charts, videos, anything like that, well in advance of the launch, because we, we obviously don't want to face this objection. We want to be proactive about it. Uh, but many folks, many new entrepreneurs especially, won't have the experience to perhaps even recognize uh, this will be an objection. And so when they do or when they face that hurdle, those are just a few a few examples, charts, videos, graphics, create, be creative, be personable, and really identifying what makes your product different and better than anything else that's available for these, these customers to purchase. It's quite common for very advanced hardware even a very advanced hardware startup entrepreneurs to become so into the weeds with their product that er your features become almost obvious. Mm -hmm. And you think that because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're obvious to you, you forget about that very important brand messaging or that marketing value. And I love the word that you used is education. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful because the education is relatively free. You've already done the product development. You've already created the innovation, you know, come up with the idea. You've made the product. Now the now really the key is education. And that's one of the things that a lot of hardware entrepreneurs struggle with. I would say the vast majority struggle with because you've been so deep in the weeds, you really need to step outside and assume you've never seen this thing before. You mm-hmm. don't understand anything about it, why it works, why it benefits. And then within a very short period of time, your elevator pitch is you know, something we hear all the time. That one sentence, what really differentiates your product, differentiates your product, and then back it up with real evidence. And like you said, it could be something like user content, uh, user generated video. It's very easy to do stuff that you can shoot yourself mm-hmm. and just put it up there to help explain. It could be chart grids. There's a lot of different ways to do it. The key is to really understand. And the best part of how you're doing it, uh, Will, which I appreciate, is through real feedback from real either potential or even existing customers or, mm-hmm. or customers who were going to purchase but didn't. 
getting that real world feedback to double check you as the entrepreneur, are you sure you're on the right path? And are you sure you're not missing out on some easy, easy, low hanging fruit key messaging that could be the thing that, that jumps over this massive pain point for many other customers out there? And it's really easy, clean, quick stuff to do as long as you're willing to open your mind to how the end user is looking at it for the first time and then open your mind to that feedback that's coming in to mm -hmm. understand and use that feedback as ammunition to overcome that hurdle going forward. Right. And in addition to directly asking the customers, which is, of course, important, I think when you, you talk about features, you talk about the fact that a product is solving a problem. and when we, as entrepreneurs, when we look at how we want to position a product, we focus a lot on that. We can look at how other brands are doing it, how some competitors are doing it. But I think when you look at things through that lens of what problem am I solving for the customer, you may miss some other bits and pieces. However, when you're thinking from an objection standpoint, go back and check that, that product page of your competitor or that other brand and how they position their product on their homepage. Because there will be things there that I think you'll notice now through an objection lens and you see it and you think, oh, I see now that that image or that graphic or that paragraph or that video, that's not necessarily there to promote features or benefits. That's there solely to resolve objections preemptively. And so this isn't something as much as, you know, it might be creative to, to stand up on a building and drop something off the top. That's fun. I love it when we see things like that done, but you don't have to be super creative to do this. And, there's likely many, many, many brands, many comparable products and websites that you can look at that, have, that are doing this already and, and you can learn from. So that's always the first, first place we're going to look in our research for any product is how's everyone else doing it? What can we learn from them and what can we build on? Smart. I like it. Let's move on to brand. This is a particularly relevant. I think this is the most important one for new entrepreneurs. Uh, brands is all about you know, credibility. Do I trust this brand? Google reviews, Amazon reviews, testimonials, whatever it might be. Uh, when you're a new entrepreneur with a new product and a new company, you have zero credibility. Now, even perhaps you're a doctor when you're launching an innovative medical product. Yes, you have credibility in that respect, but you don't necessarily have credibility to the consumer. People don't necessarily trust you as an entrepreneur, as, a, as someone who can manage a budget, create a product, work with a manufacturer, and so on and so on. So I think this is the biggest area where new entrepreneurs launching a product can excel or really suffer from and fail to overcome. So in this example, in the example of credibility, there's a few things we really try and do in our launches. Number one is we touch on what credibility does exist. So yes, if the entrepreneur is a doctor, obviously we want to make that a key piece of the message and make sure that's crystal clear that they know what they're talking about when it comes to this particular technology or scientific technology. Second thing is transparency. So I think what big brands can do, we have a lot of people uh, come to us and we always ask in our early onboarding, you know, what brands do you like? What brand designs do you like? And so on. And we often see Apple, you know, those kind of folks. And Apple doesn't need necessarily transparency. But if you're an early stage entrepreneur, people will trust through transparency. We trust Apple because we know Apple's legit. They have credibility because of who they are. We don't necessarily need direct contact to Tim Cook to purchase an iPhone. If you're launching a new product, the direct contact 
to that founder is a massive, massive credibility boost because it gives that consumer the confidence, the faith. They see a real person behind this project. This isn't just a computer screen. This isn't just something they're buying on, on an e-commerce platform. They're, they're helping Kevin. They're helping Will. They're, they're helping the founders behind this project. They know the founders behind this project. They trust the founders behind this project. And that can, frankly, be more important to a launch than actually having a really good product. Because especially with a product launch, people don't have the product yet. We don't know if it's a really good product. You know, as a marketing agency, we place trust in our in our clients and the client obviously believes they've got the best product in the world. Otherwise, they shouldn't be investing their time and energy to do it. But the consumer has no idea. They just see, you know, the campaign page, the sales page, whatnot. Uh, so because they can't have the credibility of the product, what they can have is the credibility of the founder, the founding team, and the people behind the launch. And we've had campaigns where, in my opinion, uh, the backers, the customers, the, the supporters have put their money down and, and bought that product as much for the personality behind the founder than the actual product itself. And, and that's massive. And we see the complete reverse. Like I mentioned at the start today, you know, introvert entrepreneurs, it can be challenging to get their face out there, do live Q&A sessions and whatnot. And we see that in the data because that that's a big loss of credibility. So I think in addition to, like I said, kind of any credibility they do have in their particular space, great transparency, uh, even more important. And then the third one I'll just touch on is minimize risk. We've already talked about this, but you can get credibility by minimizing risk, whether it's warranties, discounts, uh, promises, money back guarantees, whatever they care, free trials, whatever it might be, that's your way, especially early on of getting that credibility. And over time, as your brand grows and you get those great reviews coming in, you get those advocates behind your company, uh, the, the other credibility, the brand credibility will come naturally and you can start reducing these other bits and pieces you've had to put in place early on. Oh, those are three powerful elements to brand credibility. And what I love about them is they're all relatively easy to do. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you, the hard part is building the product, mm-hmm. but things like being the face behind the company, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it's just showing that transparency. We talked mm-hmm. about, you know, re- reducing the burden on yourself or the stress on yourself as an entrepreneur. Well, again, that's one of those easy things to understand that even if you're an introverted entrepreneur or you don't like being on camera or you don't like you know, getting onto social media and saying things, that can almost help you. I've seen numerous very introverted individuals just talk about who they are and what and the mm. product they're building and behind mm. it. And because you can tell they're maybe a bit shy, this isn't their field of expertise isn't being a pro on the camera, they're not this expert whiz salesperson, that almost builds additional trust. So, you know, one of the things you didn't say there was be, you know, big flashy and, uh, you know, show that you're spending huge amounts of money in any, in any way, realistically, other than probably on actually making a great product, Mm -hmm. but the rest of it, especially in this day and age with that is when it comes to transparency, it's just being real with your audience Mm -hmm. and how much easier is it to just turn around with the camera, talk about the truth of what's going on with yourself, with the product, with what you're at in development. There's no stress. You don't have to spin it. You don't have to be some sort of expert in, in creating this sort of stuff. Just be real with your audience. And that, you know, you're hearing it right here from Will. And you've heard it from mm-hmm. me, I know, before on the show to the listeners, but just being real with your audience and being, being a good person and just being transparent with what you're doing in the process is the way to win as of 2021. 
Maybe right. it's different depending on the product or the era or whatever else. But right now, what a great time to be in the product business when you know one of the big tickets to success is just being real with your audience. Well, how easy is that to be? Right? Right. You just have to say the truth. Don't think about it. Don't mm-hmm. overthink it, especially. <laughs> and just get yeah. it out there and start av- advertising yourself and your message and your product to those folks as part of it. And um, that's why I think it's really important for the audience to understand too. It doesn't matter what walk of life. You don't have to be a doctor. Um, but although if you are, use that stuff to your advantage. Anything that you can put into your advantage that helps build that credibility, do that. But the first thing is first, and we talk about it on the show before, is put yourself behind your product. Mm-hmm. Show that you stand behind it. And you're not hiding behind some you know, corporate name or some brand or you know, even some fancy salesperson. That At least at a, min- a minimum, you're willing to get on camera and say, I am so-and-so, and, and this is why I came up with this product. This right. is what, what gave me the idea for it. And here's what I'm doing to make this product great so that I can bring it to you know, thousands of people around the world. And that is very right. powerful stuff, especially as a startup. All of this stuff is relatively inexpensive to do. Yeah, I mean, the transparency is, is incredibly inexpensive, just being yourself and being out there. And to add to what you just said there, I think what transparency gives you as well, which is especially important for new early stage entrepreneurs, is goodwill. So you're going to face problems, manufacturing problems, production problems. It's just going to happen. And there may be delays. There may be problems that if, if you haven't got, as a company, your processes in place, your customer service stuff set up, maybe there's emails that fall through the gaps and you miss them and complaints you don't quite see. Or there's always going to be problems. And if you can present yourself and be transparent and authentic, you're going to build that relationship that whether it's to buy the product a week from now or to trust you in your production run four months from now based on delays. I mean, COVID delays, of course, havoc for everyone. And I can promise you that the entrepreneurs that were truthful and honest and upfront a year and a half ago with their customers have probably been managed to um, survive the, these manufacturing production challenges over the last year and a half with their customers because of that goodwill that they built very early on by simply being authentic. That's a good point. It's a good add-on. Uh, let's uh, go quickly over technical, and then uh, we'll finish off with uh, apathy. Sure. Technical is a, a bit of a unique one, given that it's not necessarily related to the product. However, it's something we see over and over and over again in launches. And so it's something that I think is, is important to proactively uh, check on and try and uh, manage. And that's just a technical issue at some point in your marketing. And it can be quite honestly as simple as just last week, we had a client, uh, they're doing pre-order on their website and the, the website uh, went out of stock very for some reason. It was, an, it was a bug, it was an accident, they shouldn't have done it. And we noticed it maybe 24, 36 hours later because we were seeing in the ad data, hey, this looks funky, something's going on. Uh, but that's just a, a stupid technical issue which you need to be cautious of. And other things, you know, if you're running, for the folks that have listened to the other episodes on this podcast, if they're running these kind of lead generation pre-launch funnels, something as simple as people writing their email addresses wrong or adding the wrong credit card information. These are all things that will happen. And whatever you can do to preemptively address that, show the customer how crystal clear the journey of this is what you need to do, step one, step two, step three, step four. Go through your own sales journey 
on a mobile device, on a computer, in many different ways from different locations. Just make sure that it looks good and works well and there's no ludicrous hurdle that's going to put all your hard work, uh, send all your hard work down the drain like an out-of-stock sign uh, being presented on a page when it shouldn't be. Yeah, and a lot of this comes down to trust, right? If, if somebody's on your website and they're trying to place an order for it, or, or maybe it's just an email you put that you've got a bunch of spelling errors or your picture's formatted incorrectly or whatnot, these are things where they say, well, if something easy like this is broken, then right. you know mm-hmm. I'm losing trust that the product, which is much more difficult than this, uh, to exactly. design and engineer and get to production. Well, I, I'm not sure if I have the faith anymore that that's going to perform the way that they say it's going to perform if these easy things <laughs> aren't being overcome. And again, mm-hmm. this is free stuff that you can do yourself. Just test your stuff out. Test yes. it out. Test out your contact yeah. forms. Test yeah. out your landing pages. Test out your social media. Take a quick look when you launch something on social media. Did it, did it look right? And you know what? Everyone's going to make mistakes from time to time. Mm-hmm. Big companies do it. So it's going to happen at the entrepreneurship level. But the point is, it's not all over the place and that you're quick to react and you've done really what you can within you know, a reasonable amount of time to be able to suss out the big problems, at least first. And yes, and then slowly ironing out the smaller ones over time. But again, it's just coming back to that trust element, doing what you can to not give people a, a reason to avoid buying your product. Exactly. That has nothing to do with your product itself. Because how unfortunate exactly. is that, right? right? Get that stuff cleared out. And you know, if it's something that you can't do yourself, or you know, if it is more tech savvy, just get the right people on board, right? And just make sure that you've got those folks on board who know how to solve those those small pain points and those obvious problems. Let's say before they become bigger problems. Right. Indeed. Yeah. And so the last one for you here. So apathy. Apathy is a, a more challenging one, uh, certainly because. There's, there's only so much you can do if someone just doesn't care anymore. But I will point to a couple of strategies that you can have in your back pocket to try and resolve that. And that will happen. People will sign up, forget they signed up, lose interest, buy another product, whatever the case may be. But a couple of things to consider. Number one is during that launch period, like we spoke about earlier, there are some launch tactics such as urgency, scarcity, um, bonuses, uh, early uh, kind of incentives in your offers that will get someone who may be a little apathetic or on the fence to take that action now rather than later. Not everyone, not every brand and your brand in six months or a year, once you grow and start you know, building out your e-commerce, you're probably not going to be able to run these big incentives because it just won't make sense for the longevity of the business. But right now, in the launch period, you can. So really consider what are these leverages you can use to get someone to take that action and no longer have their apathy? But then also, some people just won't. Some people just don't want the product right now, and that's fine. What we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we're going to keep them engaged, keep up that transparency, that credibility, that bond and relationship you have with them. Because what we do see time and time again, when we launch a product, let's say they have a 30-day launch period, and we see... 6% of their potential customers convert, we know that within the next six months that will double because we see it over and over and over again. So just because they're not buying now doesn't mean they're not going to buy in the future. So for those that are on the fence, for those that are displaying apathy, if they're not, you know, if you're trying all these incentives and offers and scarcity tactics and they're still not taking you up on it, consider, okay, well, it might not happen now, but how can we build towards converting in three months' time? Uh, show them the product being created, show them uh, the product shipping to our earlier supporters, give them the credibility, 
and re-engage them further down the line when they may be in a better position to make that decision. Yeah, because those are people who are already interested in your product. You know, two right. of the things I always think about when it comes to the sales process for new products when you're looking at apathy is time. Generally, the more time uh, that goes on from the point when somebody says they're interested, the point where they mm-hmm. actually make a purchase, the more time, the less likely they are to actually make a, a sale. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's just a natural, natural human nature. You know, they get, they get excited and that excitement fades and momentum. Now, momentum is the only thing that you can really do to overcome time. And that really kind of leads into what you said about, well, even if they're not an early adopter, an early purchaser, don't waste those leads. Mm-hmm. Those are people who were interested and maybe with enough momentum could overcome mm-hmm. the time factor because they've learned things or even proved, you know, overcome many of these obstacles we talked about on the on the on this chat today. And that's where it's important to look at your your funnel as you know multi-layered. You've got those immediate mm-hmm. buyers, but th- those immediate buyers in many circumstances aren't your primary buyer group. Your primary primary buyer group, so secondary buyers that mm-hmm. take momentum over a substantial period of time. And the momentum outpowers the time. So their their loss of interest over time is overcome by the increased excitement because of this momentum that you're giving them. So every week they're getting more and more excited uh, mm-hmm. about it as opposed to losing interest. And really all that comes down to is just regular communication and mm-hmm. transparent communication mm-hmm. and just easy updates, the stuff that you mentioned earlier. It's generally stuff you can do relatively easily for free. And that really engages uh, your audience and make sure that you have these multiple tiers or multiple buckets of buyers and potential future buyers off of every campaign that you run, right? To keep that momentum growing. Right. And I think what, from our standpoint as a marketing agency, what we want to draw the conclusion of there is the return. You know, we see a lot of clients spend a lot of money on their pre-launch. They build up these audiences. They have a great launch. But what we know, because we have the data and the history to see, is that if you raise $100,000 from your pre-launch list or $200,000 from your pre-launch list, in that launch period, that can and likely will, as long as everything, you know, you don't do anything crazy, double in the following six months. And so the return on investment, maybe it was four times, is now eight times. And so when they're looking at their, they're modeling out their launches, they're looking at their, their, their margins, understanding their budgets, uh, thinking slightly longer term and understanding that long-term return of that early work is, is critical and obviously shows the value of the marketing we're putting in. Yeah, the last thing I'd want to leave off on this is the fact that we, I mean, we're talking a lot about launch today and overcoming objections so that you can get real buyers purchasing your product. But know that a lot of the things both that you're learning here, a lot of the clients or potential clients of the database that you're building can be used in the future for growing the business as well, which is really what you're talking about here. And we talk about people who are considering buying later, but also as you grow in the in your sales funnel pipeline, for instance, if you're starting to now go from a launch with direct to consumer, and now you're going to use that uh, merit of that launch to now go direct for, to B2B, potentially to wholesalers, retailers, uh, distributors, et cetera. You can use a lot of the learnings here, a lot of the strategies, a lot of the m- momentum there to start working on your next sales channels to really scale up the business from your first launch. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a lot of it is really talking about, like you said, there's more value to that launch, which again, comes back to the original theory. Don't worry so much about cash flow on your first launch. Don't worry about being profitable on your first launch. Just make it a good first launch because the value that happens there is going to far outweigh the minor cash flow value that happened, both in equity of your company, what your company, your product's actually worth. 
for somebody to actually purchase you or acquire you. And in terms of these intangibles, such as the learning, et cetera, that you're going to use to then leverage to your next, you know, and bigger sales channels. Yeah, absolutely. And we've done a nice circle there back to what we were talking about at the start with regards to cash flow. And uh, indeed, as you say, as you say, Kevin, these, these learnings can go a long way, both from a cash flow standpoint, but also, you know, for the first time entrepreneur, they're going to face these objections for the first time. And so what, what I can do in these conversations is present them and, and try and give you strategies to be proactive about that and, and preemptively address them. But as I said, right at the start, there's going to be ones that I don't talk about. There's going to be ones unique to you. And as soon as you, you, you see them, uh, you're going to be in a position to learn from them, resolve them, and then implement those resolutions proactively and preemptively down the road. Well, uh, I know you've got a great agency that helps a lot of uh, customers with launching in, in a variety of different channels. You're kind of an omni-channel launch uh, strategy uh, marketing company. Uh, what's the website uh, that folks can reach out to? And of course, as always, I'll put all the links into the episode notes as well. Sure. You can find us at russellmarketing.co, russellmarketing.co, and check out the launch system, the strategies we use in some of our previous projects. Will, much appreciated for having you on the show and sharing these words of wisdom today about objections. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kevin. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com that's m-a-k-o design.com for a free consultation from one of maco designs for design studios from coast to coast thanks for listening and see you next time